This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Now, without any further ado, would you please welcome to the stage, Angela Lamb. Good morning. All right, Lorraine, did I do my job? Okay. So that ratio of 18 years to two sermons is directly proportionate to my nerves. (laughs) So, oh, good morning. I am happy to be here, mostly because I'm happy to be with you. I don't, how many of you have some level of stage fright? Okay. So would you just give me just a little gift right here? Could you just wave at me so I remember that you are my friends (laughs) and that we are all safe here? (laughs) Good morning. Good morning. I'd also like to give a little shout out to the people that are participating online. Hello, friends. I know you envy us and the hugs that we get in the live experience with the live band and live baptisms later. We envy you your pajamas. So, good morning. (laughs) Um, So, we are, this is week number three of a series called Bottom of the Ninth. And for those of you that know me, you know that I am married to an avid baseball fan. Lovey, are you in here? Nope. Oh, he's going to love this. All right. So when Ron and I were talking about this series, I really resonated with this topic, not just the concept of the bottom of the ninth and how to be okay when things are not okay, but the idea of the baseball theme, because I don't know, are any of you in a relationship with that that fan? Jason plans his week. I see that hand. (laughs) Jason plans his week around the games that he needs to see. We plan our vacations around which ballparks we can visit during that time of year. Yeah, like he's that fan. So if you're in that kind of relationship, are you aware of Sports Talk Radio being one of the best aphrodisiacs on the planet? It's amazing. A couple of minutes on my way home from work, and I can drop a conversational bomb like, hey, love, how do you think Ronald Acuna is going to do in the postseason? I mean, he's a rookie. It's a lot of pressure for him. And I, it's like, well, first of all, it's a 20-minute diatribe from him actually answering that question. <laughs> and if you can hang with that, that, that loved one is like putty in your hands. It's amazing. So the idea of be, doing a talk that is themed around baseball, this is going to earn me some serious brownie points. So I'd appreciate those of you that are not sports fans hanging with this because this is probably my fault. It's Jason's fault, but we love him. So that is okay. Um, So week one of this series was how to be okay when things are not okay. And then last week, Ron laid out how could we prepare for these moments. If we know that life hands us these moments where it's bottom of the ninth, those of you that aren't baseball fans, what that means is it's the end of the game. There's only three outs available at the bottom of the ninth. And uh, how could you prepare for that moment when it feels like all is this close to being lost? And it was tremendous. Today, I want to talk about a little different aspect of these moments when things are not okay. Because as a society, and I think as a species, we love comeback stories. Love them. We watch our movies that way. We read our books that way. We resonate with this concept so, so deeply. So when we talk about that, uh, if you're not a... Oh, Lorraine... So my hair, I don't know if you've noticed the speakers that we usually have on this stage do not have an obstacle of hair. (laughs) Sorry, Ronnie. (laughs) Um, But my hair is tangled up. 
Um, we love comeback stories. And if you are not familiar with the Bible or you are not familiar with God, one of the things I would say is, my word, God is like the king of comeback stories. If you don't read your Bible a ton, I would say, pick it up if for no other reason to enjoy the drama of the various comeback stories. I'll just name a couple to, to whet our appetite about how much we love this concept of bottom of the ninth. There is a guy named Daniel. And he, uh, he was sentenced to death because the, the ruling nation over him did not permit religious freedom. And so he continued to pray, even though that was against the law, and was sentenced to death and was thrown into, pinned into a den of, lion for, den of lions for three days. That story has a happy ending. There's a story of Moses, who was a little baby, who was, uh, lived in slavery. And as a baby, his mother decided his best shot at actually being able to survive infancy was to put him in a basket and float him down the river and pray for him as she did that, which can't even imagine that being your best option. That story, spoiler alert, has a happy ending because that same exact guy later in life led his people out of slavery into the desert to get them as, a, honestly, a traveling refugee camp and got trapped between the country that was pursuing them and a body of water. That comeback story is amazing. You're standing trapped between a body of water with millions of people you're trying to save, wondering how that story turns out. It turns out awesome. There's a story of a beauty queen who prevents a genocide. There, last week, Ron told the story of Peter's prison break the night before he was supposed to be executed. That story had a happy ending. Uh, the classic is Jesus. He was actually dead and still had a comeback story. <laughs> Like, if for no other reason, read your Bible for the drama of these comeback stories. Today, though, we're going to take a little, a little different tactic on this bottom of the ninth concept because not all stories have happy endings. Not every hero is born out of a moment of victory. Sometimes we have heroes who their stories are tragic, but they actually still go on to become heroes for us. And I want to talk about that because not all of our bottom of the ninth moments end up with the beautiful comeback story. Sometimes the third strike is still called and the game ends, the stadium lights go down and you go out with your shoulders slumped. So I wanna talk about what do we do in those moments and I'd like to use somebody that I consider to be a Bible hero whose story did not end well in the traditional sense, but, but it, it teaches us something about what we have available to us when our moments don't end up as the beautiful comeback story. So I'd like to introduce you to Stephen. Stephen's story happens with a little bit of overlap with Jesus. Right after Jesus has left, the, these followers that had been with him as he was setting up his movement, he had been instrumental in changing what people thought about religion, and he had started a new thing entirely. And the followers that he had had with him were beginning to plant churches for the first time, gathering people that understood what Jesus had been talking about, and they were encouraging each other and becoming established churches for the first time ever. And Stephen was part of that movement. And uh, so, again, Jason... <laughs> Never let me back up here, but if you don't know my story with Jason, Jason and I uh, were best friends for 17 years. I had him squarely friend-zoned for 17 years before I woke up and realized what a gem I had in my best friend. It was a painful journey on that front and that it took that long. When I read the story of Stephen, I think, this is the guy that gets friend-zoned. <laughs> It was amazing. He was a church leader. He was a good and godly man. The description that they give of him, he was his, super involved in church planting, and his specialty was the care of widows. 
And all of the mothers in the room sigh. Oh, what a wonderful young man. And all of the girls think, yeah, but I wouldn't date him. Like, <laughs> it's just that this is the guy that gets friend zoned. He was pivotal in church leadership during the time. And he, had, he would have been very keenly aware of the process that Jesus had gone through, both being arrested and then being taken to trial and then being executed. And so when we enter Stephen's story this morning, he has been arrested. He would both have access to the memory of how scary it was that his hero had been arrested and executed, but he also would have had access to the part of the story where Jesus comes back to life. So he's got these mixed emotions, I assume, as he enters into a trial that was exactly like he had experienced watching Jesus. He is literally in the same court, being tried by the same exact people, and probably, I would assume, scared out of his mind. When Jesus was brought into that court, he was asked the question, here are your charges, what do you have to say about this? And Jesus had chosen the path of, it is as you say and then remained silent, and that trial had ended with his execution. So here is Stephen in the same exact court with the same exact accusations being put against him, and they ask him the same exact question. What do you have to say for yourself? And Stephen picks a different tactic, and he lets the council have it. He goes all the way back, much further than his own story. He goes all the way back and tells this grand story that ends with accusing them. He doesn't just allow himself to be defensive in his own defense. He actually goes on the offense. And he goes so offensive that they skip the vote. They don't even say, hold on, hold on, just a second. I think we're ready to take a vote. They entirely skip the vote. And they grab him and take him outside and begin to stone him. And that's where we're going to pick up. Nope. That's my fault. As the murderous stones came hurtling at him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. This is not a comeback. <laughs> this is not the Bible hero that is born out of a beautiful story of faith that ends up translating into amazing things for him. He dies here. I don't know, because Jesus' story was so fresh in his mind, I don't know if he was thinking, well, maybe death's not so bad. Maybe I'll be one of those people that gets raised from the dead. I just saw that happen. I don't know, but I don't know what it would take for you and I to sit in this moment, and the part of the shouting that we did was to make sure that God forgave the people that were doing this hideous thing to us. What does that take? <laughs> What would it take for you and I to be in this moment with that level of peace? And the thing that we were shouting is, don't, don't hold this against them, God. And the peace that you see here, this isn't, doesn't look like a guy who is in turmoil watching his dreams die. This looks like a guy that is at peace, and he is so much at peace that he is not even in his own moment. He is in the moment of the people who have accused him falsely and are executing him. That's amazing to me. There's something to be learned here in Stephen's story. The question is, what do we do with this? Like, what do we do with this? None of us here has been stoned, but I would guess that everybody in here, either directly in your own life or through the, the lives of people very close to you, we have experienced some kind of crushing defeat. Some kind of, this isn't how I thought this story would end. 
whether it was you were in a relationship with someone that you thought was the love of your life and it was going to last for your entire lifetime and it didn't end that way. That's not how it turned out. Or you were on a sobriety path that you held for years and years and then you fell off that wagon and you thought, hey, this is not how I thought this story ended. Or whether you were living paycheck to paycheck and you thought, okay, it's going to get better, it's going to get better and then you find yourself filing for bankruptcy. Or it's a medical diagnosis. I mean, whether uh, these experiences in a room this size, we have personal experience with crushing defeats or our loved ones very close to us have experienced things that are not those hero comeback stories. So one of the things I would say that we can do with this is empathize. Even if that is an ancient place, that is an ancient ritual, <laughs> there's something in Stephen's story that we can empathize with and learn from. So this morning, what I'd like to do, um, Ron mentioned it this morning a little bit, but what I'd like to do is talk about these difficult times. And for me, this is real-time learning. I have experiences with crushing defeats before this moment that at this moment in my life standing right here, I am facing down multiple places in my life where I wonder, is this going to be one of those beautiful comeback stories? Or is this a crushing defeat where I'm going to have to trust that God can do something through this that I can't even see? So if you have any temptation to look up here and think that's an expert speaking on that topic, pish posh to that. <laughs> this is a group learning experience. I'm going to talk to you about five tips that I'm using during this time to bolster my faith and to, to carry me through scary times. And I imagine in this room... There are bunches of us that also are walking through difficult times, wondering how this story ends, wondering how God will come through. So let's just talk through. I have five tips that I'm using right now, and time will tell how well they work, or you could try them and give me your stories, and we could find out how well they work. But this is what God is using in my life right now to carry me during this time. So tip number one is to remember God's nature. Justin, do I have to point this thing somewhere specific? I'm hitting... It, yes, so I'm going to point it this way. Yeah, it worked. I'll try this. <laughs> Tip number one is to remember God's nature. I am spending massive time contemplating what I know to be true about God. And there's two principles that I know to be true about God, both from my personal experience and from reading the Bible, that God has been uniting together right now to remind me of something. And they are the fact that in his very nature, God is all good. Not sometimes good, not capable of good. He is all good. And part of his very nature is he is all powerful. And when you unite those two together, that is a God that I can actually lean into and trust. Here's why. If you take an all good God who is not all powerful, you end up with a God that you can feel deep affection for. You can end up with a God that you can receive comfort and empathy from. But it becomes like a Santa Claus God who can provide you comfort but is impotent to do anything about your problems. An all-good God is something I find extremely attractive. But if he is not also all-powerful, then he is not big enough to actually walk me through these crushing defeat moments. But if you flip it and you get an all-powerful God, then you have a God that is big enough to solve your problems. But what if he decides to solve the world's problems by sacrificing you towards it? 
that in order to help this situation over here, you're just going to have to take it in the shorts. Like, that's not a God, that's, that's maybe a God I can respect when it comes to his power, but not a God that I can actually trust. I might be able to trust that he's powerful enough to do something, but what if he's not powerful enough to choose to use it? For, he's powerful enough, but he doesn't choose to use it for me. So God has been bringing me back to this principle over and over. I am both all good and I am all powerful. And in that you can find a God to both feel affection and receive comfort, but also respect and receive a different kind of comfort in the sense of I can trust him to do something on my behalf. That leads me straight to tip number two. As soon as I saturate in that process, that leads me, <laughs> thank you. That leads me to tip number two, which is to remember that God is God. When I look at my problems, when I look at these um, pending <laughs> comeback stories or perhaps the crushing defeat, I can only see the solutions that I can see because I am human. Believe it or not, I have a, a, somebody in my world that seriously pushes this for me. I see God in this person because when I interact with them, they don't just think outside the box. They, like, crush the mold entirely. They drop all assumptions. So I'll look at a problem and I'll think, well, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that, because that's just, I've never seen that done before. When this person looks at those problems, they're like, well, why don't we just do that? It's amazing. It's my 13-year-old nephew, Silas. He blows my mind regularly. Silas reminds me the size of my God. That when I look at a problem, I see all of the problems. <laughs> I see all of the solutions that aren't possible in this place, and I begin to lose hope. When I consider the combination of an all-good and an all-powerful God and Silas's way of thinking, I can picture a God that's like Silas on steroids. He is an infinite God. <laughs> His mother is saying, not all good. He's wonderful. <laughs> so... Um, it just reminds me that the combination of an all-good, all-powerful God who has infinite solutions does not look at the end of my story as the end of my story. He might look at the end of a chapter, he might look at the end of a dream, and he can see how to build another dream, or he can see how to redeem that dream, which actually brings me to tip number three, which is one of my favorite Bible verses growing up, Romans 8.28. This is the silver linings promise from God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. As a kid growing up, this verse spoke to me, because it's the same part of my heart that fairy tales spoke to. It doesn't matter how ugly it is. It doesn't matter how bad your stepsisters are and how many chores you have and that your friends are only mice. It doesn't matter. This is something that can bring this, this level of comfort to your world, that no matter what you're going through, if you are partnered up with an all-good and an all-powerful God who has infinite solutions, then he can actually make a promise like this that I can actually trust, that no matter what I am going through, somehow this thing can turn around. In the experiences that I'm having right now in life that make me wonder if my story is a comeback story, if it's one of those crushing defeats, this is incredibly comfortable to me, comforting to me, because this comes from the voice of a God who is always looking out for my best interest and has the power and the infinite solutions to do it. And this is the same God that you are partnered up with. This is the same God that the Bible talks all the way through so that you can actually get to know him, where these words can mean something. If I say this to you, you can trust my intentions, but I'm not God. 
So you might think, well, good, I, I feel safe with her, but I don't really have the ability to solve all of your problems. I don't really have the ability to guarantee you that as bad as this is, it's going to come out okay. This is the God, that the, the all-powerful, all-good God that can actually make this kind of promise, which leads me straight into tip number four, which is fuel your faith. If you don't know this God that I am describing, if your narrative about God is that he is a judge that is looking out for you to get your act together and to not mess up, or if you just are beginning to explore the concept of God, it's actually each of our individual responsibilities to fuel our faith. When times like this hit for me, what I have invested before this in getting to know God is something that I can actually lean on, something I can find comfort in, that I can believe a promise like Romans 8.28 because I know that God. So when I say fuel your faith, there's a couple of things I've got in mind. One, you being here is you fueling your faith. So good job. Check. Nice. I would say also building relationships with other people. When I look out in this audience, I see people that have inspired me in my faith, that I watch the things you're tackling with God. I watch the faith that you dis display. I watch the tough questions you're asking with God and the way that you deal with him in humility. I'm inspired by you, and I would say get to know your church mates because they will inspire you too. I also tossed some of my favorite at-home fuel um, onto a flyer that's at the back table that you can grab on your way out. It just says, Fuel Your Faith. It's a couple of books that have just lit me up on how God is good, rewriting my narrative from that judge into a loving Heavenly Father. They, it, they have um, reminded me how big He is and the kinds of solutions that He has. And then those Bible stories that I mentioned earlier about the comebacks, the solutions that God brought to those situations to make them comeback stories are so far out of the box, it's almost unbelievable. But you see story after story in the Bible. So I gave references as well, like Bible addresses, on that paper for those stories. Because if we will fuel our faith before these moments come, we can lean into it in these moments. But if you find yourself already in one of these moments, it's not too late to fuel your faith. It is not too late to get to know that God that you can actually count on. I would say fuel your faith. And then there's one other thing I would say, a tip um, that comes straight out of Stephen's story, is even when you're dead, you're not done. Most of us would consider death to be the ultimate end. Like there's no coming back from that. But Stephen's story, if you read, so his story, if you want to read his story, it's in the book of Acts. It's awesome. That entire, if you like church at all, that entire book is so fun, what was happening with them. Stephen was one of the first martyrs um, who was killed for his faith, and it, it kicked off. He was at the very beginning of a massive persecution of Christians, and if you were real-time living in Stephen's time, you would have been incredibly discouraged because Christians, people were coming to faith and getting to know God and then fleeing the area because it put their lives and their families in jeopardy. And so here, the, the people that were around Stephen lost a, a key leader in their church planting work, and they were watching Christians flee the area. It very much looked like a crushing defeat, that they thought, here we are, this is where Jesus had done his work, this is where we're going to set up this incredible movement, and people were fleeing the movement faster than they could bring new people in. It looked so discouraging. But as you read the story of Acts, you can see that actually what the religious leaders who were trying to stamp out this movement had intended 
completely backfired. And people fleeing the area, they took their faith with them. And all of a sudden, the church was now spread over all of the ancient world, all over the place. So here is Stephen thinking, ah, my story is in. I'm not sure how God's going to turn this out for good. This feels like a crushing defeat. And this all-good, all-powerful God welcomes Stephen in with open arms saying, well done, good and faithful servant, and used his death to spark something so much bigger than Stephen. He had a view of how he could be used in the grander vision. Same is true for us, you guys. If you partner up with this God, if you are in partnership with him, you are not finished even when you're done. I have a tattoo on the back of my neck that says legacy. I love this idea that we are so much more than this body. We are our words. We are our thoughts. We are our ideas. We are our relationships. And even when you're done on this earth, God is not done with you. He is a worthy God to partner up with, which actually leads to my challenge for the day. Oh, there it goes. Leads to my challenge for the day. If you're in this room and you don't know this God that I'm talking about, that isn't somebody that you know well enough to be able to lean on, then you might be tempted to think, I'm not sure if I belong here. I'm not sure if, this, if I fit here because these people all probably have their acts together and they probably know they've already fed their faith. I would say you absolutely belong here. This is exactly the place to explore that God and to get to know that God. And this morning, we're going to participate in something that we call baptism. And it's an ancient ritual that started back in Jesus's day where it just symbolizes a fresh start. It's a washing away of the old life and then you come in and out of the water and you start fresh. So I would say if you are here today and this God concept is new to you, or you're recognizing that your picture of God isn't what we're describing here, that I would like to dare you in three ways. And the truth is, whether you are a Christ follower or not, these dares apply to you because at different points we struggle with different parts of these. So one, I would like to dare you to believe that this love is possible. That there is a God that loves you enough to be self-sacrificing, that loves you enough to fight for you and support you. And I would like to go to uh, Second Chronicles, I'm going to throw you a loop, Second Chronicles 16.9, um, because this verse is my grown-up Romans 8.28. I love Romans 8.28, but I am no longer enamored by fairy tales. <laughs> This is a verse that speaks deeply to me about the love that God has for us that I want to dare you to believe in. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, giving strong support to those whose hearts are blameless towards him. There's so many things I love about this. One, actually one of the worship songs that we sang this morning spoke to this reckless love that pursues us. It's this is this love that rum, that's constantly scanning the horizon, looking for people whose hearts are blameless towards him. But blameless actually can be kind of an intimidating word, but it's different than perfection. When I think about trying to earn that kind of love, I think I better get my act together. But when I read this verse and I think about blameless, I hear a God who is saying, follow your conscience, live with integrity, do your best. You're going to make mistakes. It's not going to be okay. I totally get it. But you know what? Live cleanly between you and I. When you do mess up, just talk to me about that. I'm offering forgiveness all of the time. That blameless is so different from perfection. And the other reason I adore this verse, and it speaks to this concept of crushing defeats, 
is because in this verse, Romans 8.28 provides a covering of don't worry about it, I've got it, it's okay. This verse talks about struggle. The whole reason he would be scanning the horizon looking to give strong support is because people are struggling and they need support. I am struggling and I need support. I love this verse. This is the kind of love that can be hard to believe in, which is why this morning I'm daring you to believe that that kind of love is possible. And then secondly, I'm daring you to believe that it can be soaked in to actually let that love soak in. Any gift that is given, if I give you a gift, that reflects something about my heart, but if you can't accept that gift, it doesn't do the job that a gift is meant to be, is meant to do. It's meant to bond us together. The same is true with this love. You can debate God's insanity on offering you unconditional love. That's for a different conversation. But I would say, if God is going to offer it, it's his call on whether he thinks that you're worthy of it or not. I don't know what evidence you use to decide whether or not you feel worthy of that kind of love, but I would say that's not your call. In the end, that's actually God's call to choose to give you this love. So I would say, dare to believe that this love is possible. Dare to let this love soak in. And then if you want to this morning, I would dare you to get a fresh start. This is a ritual that is just meant to say, I have lived life on my own. I have lived life the way that I saw fit. But there is a God out there that loves me, that wants to partner with me, that wants to offer this unconditional support and work life out for my best interest. I'm signing up for that partnership. That can start today. You don't have to have pre-fueled your faith. That is a choice you make today. Hey, I'm going to believe in that, and then I'm going to go fuel my faith. I would say dare to believe in that love. Dare to let that love soak in. And then if you dare, dare to get a fresh start. This, I, if you're not familiar with the concept of baptism, it is pretty simple. We're going to have some people up here on this side of the stage that are prepared to walk you through it. The logistics of it is one by one, people get in here and we say a prayer and they're just dunked under the water as a symbol of being washed new and to start a, a fresh start. If you are um, here and you already know you want to get baptized or you're here with friends, bring your friends and family up here. Let them circle around you in this time. If you are all by yourself today, bring the people in your row up here. It's totally fine. That's part of this whole fuel your faith with the people around you. No one is going to say no to you. We're all very excited about that moment. But it's logistically quite simple. It is just a fresh start. One other ritual that we do here at New Life all of the time is communion. And it's just a reminder of that self-sacrificing love that Jesus chose to leave heaven to come to our flawed earth with that deep love for us and sacrifice himself on behalf of us to make a way for us to be in relationship with him. And this is just a reminder. So there's a little cracker and a little tiny cup of juice, and it's just something to eat and to drink as a remembrance and in honor of that love. So I'm going to say a prayer. If you'd like to participate in communion, there's tables all over the place. Participate in communion. If you want to be baptized and get that fresh start, come on up to this side of the stage. Let's pray. God, those dares are big. I've been a Christian a long time, but I still have days where I struggle with one of the three of them. This morning, I don't know where my friends are at, but I pray that you would be whispering and pushing in on one of those dares that might speak to where they are in life. I pray that you would give us the courage to act on it. 
I know I've had a long-standing journey with feeling worthy of that kind of love and actually letting it sink in. I know at times I have struggled to believe that you could give me a fresh start over and over and over again. So this morning as we sing, as we take communion, as we watch people make this step, I pray that you would be pressing into our hearts an invitation to dare greatly with you. It's in Jesus' name that makes this kind of partnership possible and in the miracle that you raised him from the dead. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.